I know most of you think you have the best husband, but really I have the best husband. He is my greatest encourager most of the time. Other days he drives me nuts, but that's marriage, right? Well, welcome. You all look so great today. You look chipper and ready to be in the house of the Lord. What a great morning it is. Sunday is my favorite morning of the week. Now, if you're new with us and you're new watching online and you're wondering what in the world is that lady doing up there without shoes, well, it's because you guys make me so nervous. <laughs> you would think it would get easier every time I preach, and it doesn't. Like, I feel like I'm going to throw up like a week before, so that's cool. So I have to take my shoes off because, you know, I shake so bad, and so there you go. So now that we have that out in the open, that is why my shoes are off. Well, many years ago, um, our daughter Jordan was about a year old, and we lived in this small apartment for six months. Um, God had called us into ministry on a Sunday night. I'll never forget it. We sat on the couch in our basement, and um, we had a living room down there. And Matt said, I feel like God is calling us into full-time ministry. And I was like, oh, okay. So we decided to list the house on Monday morning to kind of see, you know, what, what happened. Well, it sold Tuesday afternoon for $12,000 over what we had bought it for two short years earlier. So this was kind of God looking at us and being like, yes, you heard me as well as you can hear me. You're supposed to sell your house, go into ministry. Well, the first position that we took they had a parsonage that we were going to live in, and this parsonage wasn't going to be ready for about six months, so we moved into this apartment while we waited. Now, <laughs> I had this brilliant idea. The uh, kitchen in this apartment had one of those hoses. I'm, I'm sure people still have them, but like the hose that was on the side of the faucet that you pulled out to like spray, you know what I'm talking about? And I had this great idea one day. I thought, you know, if I tie a rubber band around that tight enough, when you turn that water on, instead of it coming out the faucet, it's going to come out the hose, which would spray whoever's in front of the sink. Now, obviously, I wouldn't do this to Jordan because she was only a year old. The only other person that I lived with <laughs> was my husband. So I said, hey, Jordan's sippy cup is empty. Would you mind going to the kitchen to refill it with water? And again, I have a great husband, and he said, absolutely, I'll do that. Now, at this point, with him being so willing to do it, you might think, well, you know, she, she probably felt a little guilty at this point, and <laughs> I didn't. I mean, that's just the kind of sinner I was. I just waited for the show. So the, the kitchen was around like this half wall, so you could hear what was going on in the kitchen, but you couldn't see what was going on in the kitchen. And so Matt walks in there, and the, the water turns on. I hear nothing. He doesn't say a word. I'm expecting him to, like, yell or some kind of commotion. Nothing. Then the water turns off. And still, not a word out of my husband. So I'm thinking, did it work? Like, did I not tie the rubber band tight enough? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> he comes back out of the kitchen where I can see him. And you guys, he is soaked <laughs> from the waist down, absolutely soaked. But he's still not saying a word. So I said, now we've only been married for like two years at, the, at this point. And I said, are you mad? Then he smiles and he says, I'm not mad, I get even. 
And just for the record, he still has not gotten me back. What does this story have to do with my message today? Absolutely nothing, except for I thought you would think it was funny that I prayed a, played a prank on your pastor, and now you can go home and use it on your spouse. But I am not responsible for your spouse's um, reaction to that, okay? Um, and what did I learn from this experience? Again, absolutely nothing, except for it was hilarious, and I would definitely do it again. So if you have one of those hoses, you're welcome. You can go home and try it today. Well, we're going to be talking about seasons today. There are seasons in life that most of us really enjoy because they are exciting. These often include graduating high school, maybe going off to college like we just sent some of our seniors here to do, maybe getting that new job, finding your true love, getting married, growing your family with new bundles of joy, maybe getting that promotion at work that you've wanted, moving to your dream home, and the list could go on. There's many things that we can put into that category. These seasons are usually welcomed by most people as they are exciting times that we look forward to. But then there are seasons that we don't maybe look forward to. Maybe it's loss of a job. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you've had some health issues unexpectedly that have come up. Maybe you've recently lost a parent or your financial security, a spouse, or even a child. Maybe God has asked you to do something that is going to cost you. I know for us, going into the ministry has cost us. It's cost us security in homes, job, family, finances, friends. These are seasons that we usually don't look forward to. But God is going to remind us today, friends, that there is meaning in the mess. I am calling my message today, don't despise the season you are in. God, I just pray that you would use me today as your vessel, even through my nerves, Lord. I know that you can help me to speak clearly and to get my point across the words that you have given me to share with your people today. God, I pray that they wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but that they would take it and truly apply it to their life, and that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would transform lives today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when God asks you to trust him, do you ever feel like this? We've got a picture that we're going to, yep, mm-hmm, right there. Yep, been there. I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone. Seriously, though. There are times that God asks you to do something or you're walking through a season in life and you think you are going to die. This isn't how I pictured it, God. Have you ever said that before? I know I have. We have this idea or picture in our mind of how we want life to go or play out and everybody at one time or another is going to experience a season in life that looked nothing like you had imagined it to. When Matt came to me early in our marriage and told me he had a calling on his life to go into full-time ministry, you guys, I had no clue what that meant. Seriously. I had no idea the challenges over these next 22 years in ministry would even look like. I felt like each assignment that God had called us to was harder than the one before it. And I didn't even know what a pastor's wife did 
or what a pastor's family looked like. I mean, I wasn't raised in the church. I was clueless. I had no idea. In my mind, the pastor's wife wore like the super long dresses and always covered from head to toe. As you can tell, that is not me. They could preach a good sermon. They could lead a Bible study. They could sing. They could play the piano. I'm like, uh, God, did you forget that he's married? I mean, like, this is like a couple's thing here. I don't do any of that stuff. None of it. And half the time, I'm sure my husband is thinking, please, God, just let her act normal. Please, God, just let her act normal. Please, God, just let her act normal. I am the furthest from your typical pastor's wife that you will ever meet. I guarantee it. Our first ministry position was only 45 minutes from our hometown in Iowa. And I clearly remember the very first night in that home, sitting on the edge of my bed, bawling, because I was 45 minutes away from my mom and dad, and I had to sleep in a different town than, than them. I kid you not. I sat there, and I cried. If I only knew that that was the beginning of God stretching me. God shows you little bits at a time, right, for a reason. This was a place that we went through heartache after heartache with the loss of several pregnancies. I was considered high risk after our first daughter, Jordan. On top of the stress of it all, I had a huge anger problem. And when I say that, I say, I cussed like a sailor, and Matt dodged more bottles than you can count. He got pretty good at it. He was also a workaholic. This was a tough season for us and our marriage, and our newfound faith in Christ was being stretched and rocked. However, I can tell you through it all, we saw miracles and God's faithfulness. God instantly delivered me from anger. Matt was under a dear pastor friend who loved us enough to keep him accountable with going home on time. We received counseling four times, and God was doing an amazing work in our marriage. I mean, I kind of liked the guy again. Despite the doctor saying that my uterus was tilted and they weren't sure if I would be able to carry another pregnancy full term, but God, right? He came through and blessed us with two more babies, Jalissa and Jace. We also had a new daughter in our home through the foster care system. If you've ever done foster care, you know that will change the dynamic and atmosphere of your home really quick. Jordan went from being the only child to the middle child in less than a year. So this was hard for her, and it was hard for us. But through it all, there was meaning in the mess. God was preparing us for our next assignment. We were at that small church 45 minutes away from home when God called us 10 and a half hours down the road to a church in Greeley, Colorado. Again, a road that we went down with many challenges and such a hard season as we now were raising our children away from family. When we moved there, our youngest, Jace, wasn't even a year old yet. He was still nursing. Him and Jalissa were both in diapers. And the church people, they were some of the meanest Christians you'd ever meet. I kid you not. They were mean. However, through it all, we came stronger once again in our marriage. We didn't have anybody else but each other. We had to figure it out. We built an amazing bus ministry with a fleet of eight Jesus buses. We bust in kids on Tuesday and Wednesday night to feed them, share the gospel with them. When we arrived in Greeley, there was maybe 25 kids on a Sunday morning, and when God called us on, we had over a thousand 
kids in our church database, all for the glory of God. God deserves praise for that. Come on. That was awesome. Only God can do that. This was a place that God taught us how to have tough skin, but a soft heart. This was also a place that God used my scars from losing my babies to help somebody else through it. We had a lady that I had never met before in my life. We got the phone call that she had lost her son at full term. So we went. We went to the hospital, and when we arrived in the room, she was surrounded by her family as well as her son, who didn't make it. I walked right up to her bedside, and it was like God opened heaven, and the anointing was so strong, I can't explain it. There was a bond between me and her that could have only been done by the Holy Spirit. I still to this day cannot tell you what I said to her or what I prayed over her, but God used me that day to comfort her. I told Matt when we left the hospital that day, if that was the reason that I went through the loss of my children, I knew why, and that was it that day. Greeley was a place where we saw miracles happen right before our eyes. We've shared some of those stories with you before. It was a place that God would grow our faith and his hand moved upon the lives of us, our children, and the ministry that he had called us there to do. Even though this was a tough season, God was with us and there was meaning in the mess. He was preparing us once again for the next season. We were in Colorado for five and a half years and our senior pastor called us to the park one day, and he said, Phoenix First has called, and they're looking for one of the top children's guys in the United States. And by no surprise, they were given my husband's name. If you haven't noticed already, your pastor is a very hard worker, and it does not go unnoticed. Matt and I traveled for several years every February to Phoenix to go there to a conference called pastor school. It's now called Dream Conference. It was Pastor Tommy Barnett's church, and we knew of the ministry that they had done for years, and this was our heartbeat as well. They were big on outreach and bus ministry, just like we are here at Green Bay First. We knew that that was the imprint that God had given us. It was during one of those conferences that God gave us the vision for the Dream Center that we talk about in Vision 2040. God has asked us to start a dream center and be a part of it. This was years ago. We even have this rock that we got that evening on Prayer Mountain to remind us that when the road gets hard or clouded or things get tough, we needed to remember the mission that God had placed in our lives and called us to. Phoenix asked us to come and meet the Barnetts, and I'm not going to lie, I was like, absolutely not. I want to go closer to home, not further away. Ten and a half hours down the road was hard, and I knew that Phoenix was going to be a flight away, not a drive away. But they said, you know what, just come down for the weekend, meet the Barnetts. If anything, you'll gain some new friendships. Our kids were little at the time, so I was like, hmm, free weekend away in Phoenix at a resort with my husband and no kids? Sign me up, Jack. So we did. We flew to Phoenix. They treated us like royalty. I mean, they knew what they were doing. They put us in one of the nicest resorts in Scottsdale. We walked in, and they had this huge, just remember that, this huge basket of little diabetes, and I don't know what else was in there. It was all kinds of junk I won't eat. But it was beautiful. They knew what they were doing, right? They were reeling us in. 
We got to sit and eat dinner with the Barnetts, which at this time you have to understand, to us, they were untouchable at the time. They were the big guys on the stage um, every conference. So it was like a dream for us. But we sat and had dinner with them, and I knew when Pastor Tommy mentioned two words, he said, we need somebody to come in and administrate and motivate. And I knew in my spirit at the time, as much as I didn't want to go, that those are Matt's two top giftings that he has. So after much debate with God and talking with Matt back at the resort that night, we were taking the position, but we said just for a year or two to help him get back on their feet. I mean, every conference they had poured into us so much, it was kind of our turn to pour back into them. God also told us that evening on the balcony at the resort that this was going to be a time of refreshing because our next assignment was going to be hard. So buckle up. We had no clue what that meant at the time. We were in Phoenix as the children's directors for about three years before Matt got promoted as the lead executive and the campus pastor over the Phoenix location. They were doing multi-sites. Again, his work in the kids' department, he is a hard worker. It was noticed, and he moved up very quickly. When he was offered this position, I was angry. I mean, I spent a Tuesday night on my kitchen floor in tears crying out to God that I thought it was only supposed to be a year or two, and then we were going to move closer to our family in Iowa. I didn't want to stay. After many hours of uh, debate with the Lord, him and I met in the middle, and we took the position. There were many challenges in this season, as I missed my parents who could no longer come to visit, as they now were a flight away, not a drive away. And their schedules change. They live in Iowa, and they run a bed and breakfast that has a restaurant attached to it. So if you can imagine, if you're in the restaurant business, you understand they're married to that place. And I missed them a lot. Most of you know the story. After Matt's promotion, he was making more money than he ever had before. We were able to buy my dream home. We were driving our dream cars. I was working very part-time as a scheduling lead over the kids' department in charge of about 100 volunteers, as well as 25 staff members. So I had 100-plus spots to fill on a weekly basis just for the kids' department. But I loved it. I loved my job. We had created a family environment there, and I could take my kids to work with me. It was the perfect job for me. This was also a place, after living for a few years and finally buying our own home, that I told the Lord that, you know what, I know I'm a flight away from family, but I'm okay with it. I fell in love with the weather, my home, our kids were in great schools, and it seemed as though I was becoming content and comfortable. However, the season for Matt was shifting as well, and his looked a little bit different. At this point, he no longer felt like he was doing ministry because he was in meetings all the time. I mean, literally, there was days he came home, and I said, how was your day? And he said, well, I was in meetings all day long. He had a lot of pressure and stress. A lot of times he would lay in bed at night with his hand on his chest from chest pains. He was gone all the time. He worked extremely long hours. And I know this season was extremely difficult for him as he just felt like he was no longer fulfilling his passion of outreach and ministry. God had to remind us that there was meaning in the mess. It was the absolute greatest training ground that God could have sent us to and get us prepared for our next assignment, which if you remember, 
he said was going to be difficult. Phoenix was a season of learning for us. God surrounded us by some of the biggest outreach and the biggest dreamers. We had the LA uh, Dream Center. We had the Phoenix Dream Center. We had the Barnetts who were huge on outreach and buses. It was so good for us to be there. But we both knew that Matt had a strong call of lead pastor on him. To keep it short, we finally decided it was time to look. But I specifically told him, I know God said our next assignment is going to be hard, but financially is not an option. I said, babe, you are almost 40 years old and you have worked too hard to take a substantial pay cut. The day before Matt's 40th birthday, he interviewed with Green Bay first via Zoom. And the crazy thing about this, you guys, was that years prior on Prayer Mountain next to the church in Phoenix, God told him before he was 40, he would send him to his first lead spot. Now, God is seldom early, but never late. And in this case, it was ours. This was the end of June. We flew up here in July, and by the end of August, we pulled into Green Bay with our U-Haul dog and kids in tow. It all happened extremely fast. When we arrived in Green Bay, the words difficult assignment was an understatement. The next few years, by far, were the hardest for me personally. I was now required to work full-time for the first time in our marriage. The church was struggling financially. We had around $25,000 between vehicle repairs and the new home that we had purchased nine months after moving here. I was having some severe health issues. I had an SI joint issue from running. So it was doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, physical therapy, chiropractor. I had also found a lump in my left breast that they had to remove to make sure it wasn't cancerous. So our little nest egg financially was gone. We were living off of credit cards, and we felt like we were sinking financially. Our kids were struggling with making friends, feeling like they fit in. I fell into a deep depression, and the only thing getting me out of bed every day was my kids and the babies I did daycare for. I was no longer able to be that stay-at-home mom. Couldn't take my kids to school, couldn't pick them up from school, couldn't take them to the dentist, couldn't take them to the doctor. It was hard. I, for the first time in our marriage, was not able to be all in on ministry due to my hefty work schedule. I'm just going to be honest with you today. I'm hoping it helps somebody else. That's why I'm sharing my story. Can I be honest with you today? Sure, I was angry at God a little bit. But I was angry at my husband. And I blamed him for our financial struggles. As I asked him to take whatever job, but the only requirement was that we wouldn't struggle financially. This was a season of testing for me, friends. And I would love to stand up here this morning as your pastor's wife and say, I passed with flying colors. That would be a lie. I didn't. 
Instead of focusing on the one who called us here, I focused on being angry and upset, and I complained to God the whole time about the season I was in. I will never forget what God told me a few years ago. I was once again doing my routine of complaining to him about how angry I was that I was not getting to do what I felt like I was called to do and my husband was, expecting God to be like, I know, honey, it's okay, you poor thing. It was actually quite opposite. As clearly as I can hear God, he said, since when was it Matt's job to keep you happy? That hurt. It hurt, but it was true. It's what I needed to hear that day. I was trying to put my happiness in a person, not God. That wasn't fair to my husband. God was showing me that I had a choice in this season of my life. I had to decide whether my faith was going to be in my circumstances or if my faith was going to be in my God. I had a choice to see the meaning he had in the mess or rise above my circumstances or stay in my stinking pity party. You know, you're a two-year-old. You put them in timeout, right? You sit there for two minutes, then you can come out and play again. They do the same thing over again. So you put them back in timeout. I'm sure that's what God was doing with me. He's like, come on, woman. When are you going to get this? Sometimes he's learning for us to learn how to dance in the rain and the mud to get the rainbow. He says, come on. When are you going to get it? I truly believe that this was a moment that changed things for me. My perspective has switched. I said, okay, God, I'm willing to stick out working full-time doing daycare for as long as you want me to. I finally stopped blaming Matt for all of my problems and started doing what I should have been doing in the first place. Which was... which was praying for my husband like I should have been. I put my faith in the creator who had called us here to Green Bay rather than in my circumstances. Putting my faith in God meant that I was refusing to quit, but also to continue to learn and grow and change what I needed to change, which for me at the time was my attitude. And to stop complaining about the season I was in because God had a meaning in my mess. It was then that I really started to get my joy back. And shortly after, I would say in the next few months, during COVID, mind you, other churches across America were shutting their doors due to finances. My husband came home from an elder meeting on a Tuesday night and said, you're never going to believe this. The church has offered for you to come work full time with me side by side doing ministry. That, my friends, is only done by God. I was in a season that I truly believe shaped me once again. I needed to put my wants and desires aside and again die to my flesh and trust the one who called us here. God will always use whatever season you are in to make you more like him. And sometimes that means hard seasons so we can grow in our faith. There is meaning In your mess, did you hear me this morning? Whatever you're going through, there is a meaning in your mess. There is a meaning in your mess. There is a meaning in your mess. Are you going through a season right now that is hard, painful, 
Sometimes we know like, uh, these seasons are coming. Like when God told us, I'm going to move you on. We know they're coming. Other times it might be an unexpected season. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've had a health issue that's come up. We're going to talk a little bit about Noah and the Bible and the season that God asked him to go through. He knew why he was going to build this boat. God had told him. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. This is a story of Noah. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah had no faults and was the only good man of his time. He lived in fellowship with God, but everybody else was evil in God's sight, and violence had spread everywhere. God looked at the world and saw that it was evil, for the people were all living evil lives. God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to all the people. I'm going to destroy them completely because the world is full of their violent deeds. Build a boat for yourself out of good timber. <clears throat> Make rooms in it and cover it with tar inside and out. Make it 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for the boat and leave a space of 18 inches between the roof and the sides. Build it with three decks and put a door in the side I'm going to send a flood on the earth to destroy every living being. Everything on the earth will die. Verse 18. But I will make a covenant with you. Go into the boat with your wife, your sons, and their wives. Take into the boat with you a male and female of every kind of animal and every kind of bird to keep them alive. Take along all kinds of food for you and them. Noah did everything as God commanded. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 8 in a minute, but I want to fill in the gap for you here. If you go to read the story of Noah, it tells us in the Bible he was instructed to take seven pairs of each kind of ritually clean and one pair of each kind of unclean animal. God wanted to make sure that after the flood they were able to reproduce on the land again. It also says that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, we complain when it rains for like three days in a row, right? 40 days and 40 nights. God destroyed everything outside the boat. And in the very last verse of chapter 7, it says that the water did not go down for 150 days. That is five months. That is a long time to be in a boat with that many animals. Can you imagine the smell? I mean, no one knew why he was building this large boat, but you guys, he was 600 years old. I'm 39, and there's days that God tells me to do something that I'm like, I'm too tired. 600. 600. And the size of this thing was massive. I can only imagine that this was not a season that Noah was enjoying. It's not like today where you have all kinds of machinery and tools to help you build such a thing. He also not only had to build such a massive structure, but he had to gather all of the animals, and the Bible tells us he had to take along all kinds of food. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a husband, three children, and a dog. And I have the convenience of jumping in my car, driving to my convenient supermarket to get groceries weekly. And it is a daunting task. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a supermarket. He had to gather everything 
himself. And being in tight quarters with your whole family for that long? You want to talk about a quarantine test? (laughs) Not to mention trying to corral all those animals together. It may have looked something like this. Oh, today's show is something good comes from Winston, Connecticut, where a mama bear had her paws full trying to get all four of her cubs safely across a busy street. This poor girl, thankfully, all the cars around came to a standstill so mama could go back and forth, crossing the road, carrying them in her mouth. Everybody did make it across safely, even though some of the cubs were not cooperating. We always say it's like herding cats. Maybe we have to say it's like herding bear cubs. You just and feel all of us have been there. You feel her pain because she's like, stop running across right. the street. Billy, Billy, get back here. So cute. That poor mama bear. I mean, seriously, though, you ever felt like that trying to get your kids ready for school or church? Like you're like, come on, trying to get your ducks in a row, right? I'm sure this was an exhausting season for Noah. But he had to continue to trust his promiser and not focus on the circumstances and the chaos around him. There was meaning in the mess. Literally, the mess. That many animals, right? They had to go somewhere. But I want to point out something interesting in chapter 8, verse 1. This is in here for a reason. It says, God had not forgotten Noah and all the animals with him in the boat. I am sure after the water not going down for so long that Noah was like, uh, hey God, did you like forget about us down here? Have you ever felt like that? I know when God brought us to Green Bay, I felt like that with my husband. I felt like God was like, all right, here you are. This is what you're called to do. And I felt like he had forgotten me. Are you in a season that you're struggling and maybe feel like God has forgotten you? Or maybe you don't see that there can be meaning in your mess. Just like Noah, God wants you to know today that he has not forgotten you. He sees you and he knows that you're struggling in the season you are in. I promise you he has a meaning in the mess. I can't tell you why we have to go through hard seasons. I don't know. I don't know why God chooses to heal certain people of sickness and some he doesn't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why some struggle more financially than others or why some people have to go through a tragic loss of a loved one. I can't answer that. But what I do know is this. God's word is true. We serve a God that is never changing. He is always there no matter what season you are in. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. There are seasons that God is just wanting you to press into him, learn, grow, and trust him that there is meaning in your mess. After the flood, the boat had finally landed on a mountaintop in the Ararat Range. Once the ground had dried up, Noah and his family could finally leave the boat, and they took with them all the birds and animals that God had instructed them to take. Noah built an altar to the Lord and made a burnt offering, and God promised to never flood the earth again. 
Chapter 8, verse 22 says, As long as the world exists, there will be a time for planting and a time for harvest. There will be cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Seasons, friends. Seasons. Ecclesiastes 3, everything that happens in this world happens at the time God chooses. He sets a time for birth, a time for death, the time for planting and a time for pulling up, the time for killing and a time for healing, a time for tearing down and a time for building. He sets a time for sorrow and a time for joy, the time for mourning and a time for dancing, the time for making love and a time for not making love, the time for kissing and a time for not kissing. He sets a time for finding and a time for losing, the time for saving and a time for throwing away, the time for tearing and a time for mending, a time for silence and a time for talk. He sets a time for love and a time for hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I know there are seasons that we all go through that are a struggle. But if you're going through one of those seasons right now, I want you to take your eyes off your circumstances and put them on the creator who will give you what you need to get through your season. He will make meaning in your mess if you trust him. It is those seasons that God knows we need even though they may be difficult. Sometimes God allows things to happen because he desires for you to seek him and to even slow down in life and to be able to focus on him. Do not despise the season you are in. God has a meaning in your mess if you trust him. Pastor Matt.